Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B-Ball Index podcast brought to you through the Blue Wire Podcast Network and our sponsors this week, betonline.ag. My name is Cranjus McBasketball. You can call me Tim. And today, (laughs) today's a weird day. Today, uh, as I'm recording this, it is Thursday, March 12th at about 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's been quite a day and and a day that I've been anticipating but the the lead up to it the me running math on my laptop on pieces of paper saying you know what this virus is going to spread to the point where we're not going to be able to play sports the idea of it is very different than living the reality and it hit me today it weighed heavy on me the fact that not not just the bizarre scenes we saw last night with with the Utah Jazz game being stopped before it was played with the Pelicans game, same thing, uh, but the just the the fact that sports are gone. You know, I as somebody who watches and actively roots for teams in basketball, baseball, football, hockey, and soccer. Uh, for several of those, both professional and collegiate, I've been asked, you know, before, like, oh, wow, like, Tim, what if there were no sports? Or like, wow, you'd have so much free time. Or I thought, you know what, I'd have so much free time if sports sports weren't in the picture. And you, the crazy thing about this is this situation is worldwide, and that's caused sports to cease to exist for for the near future. And we'll see what happens. We'll see the NBA season may get canceled. It may, uh, they may forego the rest of the regular season, just play the playoffs. They may have a shortened regular season. We can see all kinds of different things, but the fact that on the college side, collegiate athletes and, you know, baseball or fencing or other spring sports, track and field, they didn't even get a chance to compete this year. Um, I wonder if, if they'll keep their eligibility for next year, but they're just, they completely lost a year. Uh, in, on the basketball side, the last game I got to see, you know, Cassius Winston play basketball for Michigan State didn't, like, you, it was one of those things where, like, thinking back to it, like, it, that never would have occurred to me that was going to be the last game I'd ever see him play for that team. Um, so that is just bizarre to me. And the fact that so many teams – had great storylines or cool comeback stories or could make noise in March. And this whole past week or two, we've been prepping for March Madness, you know, typing up the, we had a hundred page preview document last year to accompany the brackets that we put out and the, the gambling picks that we put out for March Madness. We we're getting that already. The models were up and running. They were kicking butt and was really excited for this year. But in, in all of a sudden it goes from a hundred to zero. So that's, that's been really strange. And, just the fact that those seniors weren't able to have one final tournament really stinks to me. Or even the freshmen who we're not going to see play college basketball again. They're going to the NBA. We never got to see what they could do in March Madness. We never got to see the guy. We, we never got to see the Shabazz Napier arise in the tournament and take over and create those memories. We didn't get to see the Trey Burke. We didn't get to see uh, different key players, um, you know, create storylines and create memories for fans and the teams. And that, that, that really stinks to me. Um, as I was preparing for this podcast, people on Michigan state Twitter are live tweeting a simulated big 10 tournament tournament using a model. And it's just, it, it, Twitter has turned into just a crazy world without sports. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks and months and I'm hoping, praying everyone's safe and taking the necessary precautions, recognizing that by the time somebody at your work or somebody at your school 
is sick and confirmed as a case, there are high odds that dozens of other people are infected and and the symptoms just aren't severe enough and they haven't been tested. So you got to be proactive, not reactive. Um, But regardless, the pod will go on today. We are going to talk about the defensive player of the year award, because I think this is a discussion that looking, digging into this pretty deeply myself, I was able to talk myself into more than one answer and the nuance. I think that this discussion necessitates is something that a lot of people can approach in different ways and get different results. And it's, it's a true discussion. And, and this year to me, it's not as, uh, there, there are a couple options I see pointed out that I don't agree with, but I think it's a really interesting discussion. One of the most interesting discussions I've seen uh, this year. And I mean, you know what you're signing up to when, when you hop on this podcast today, we're going to approach it from the numbers side of the game, but I do want to acknowledge some of the areas that these players maybe outside the numbers are able to cause the impact that we do see in, in their, you know, their aggregate impact numbers. They're, they're, Defensive player impact plus minus their defensive real plus minus their all those defensive box plus minus any any of those there are things that aren't you know how well to how many blocks do you get how many steals do you get how many how do players shoot against you at the rim those, those are things we can measure but the defensive QBs that we have out there that are the mesh that just the the putty that holds the team together the talking the getting players to run the right coverage against a ball screen or an off ball screen is such a key part of the game that we miss as fans watching on television. When you have announcers talking and the fans are there and they're cheering Uh, in a weird way, I was looking forward to seeing, and obviously not long-term, but it would be interesting to me and valuable in a different way to watch an NBA or, or college basketball game without a crowd, because then you get to hear uh, the talking that's happening. And that's not something you generally get to hear with how much noise there is at college games and how much noise is pumped into pro games with the music and the announcers talking and everything. So that's such a key piece to me. And I've been to games in person where I went to a game the other day, Villanova, Georgetown, where one team, uh, they were talking on defense you can hear it. I was in this. I mean, I wasn't too far up in, in like I wasn't in the, the nosebleeds, but I wasn't courtside and you can hear the talking from more than one person on defense. And then on the other side of the court, it was mainly one voice QBing things. And that was interesting for me to watch. And these guys, you know, I, I today I'm going to talk about Giannis, Anthony Davis, Brooke Lopez, and Rudy Gobert. I think you can try to include Ben Simmons I think, I mean, you can throw out other names, but those are the four that I think have a legitimate case, maybe not the best case. And I think there are two distinct tiers be- between these four guys, but four guys that there's a real case for. Um, we've got some defensive quarterbacks here. This isn't something that we can measure, but like I said, it should probably show up in those impacts. That's so I think that's a key piece to defense, especially for big guys who these guys are, because they're, ones, they're the ones by the rim seeing the floor, able to communicate what should be happening, or at least in the teams I've played on and have worked with, that's that's really where that responsibility has fallen. And so that's, that's one thing that I, I think I wanted to recognize up front. I, I do know that numbers can't measure quite everything, but I mean, everything you do is a data point. Whether we can track it or not, that's a different story. Uh, especially with sports, but there's a lot we'll talk about today that is tracked and can tell you a whole lot. And then the things that aren't tracked, there aren't so many of them. And they all, overall, they all do contribute to those overall impact stats. So that's a little bit of the preface for this. I also want to say in framing this, this is the defensive player of the year, but it's a regular season award. This should be based off of what has happened. I do not agree that this should be based off of 
what could happen, uh, like in the playoffs. I, that's a different discussion. That's theoretical. Um, I, I still think you can analyze players without needing to say, here's, you know, video of a play and here's what's good about it. Like you can, you can still synthesize information and, uh, articulate that, but saying, you know what, well, if we isolated 50 times in a row, James Harden on Rudy Gobert, he might, might not do so well. Yeah, well, not too many players are going to do so well. And how many teams out there have played the Jazz and been able to put Rudy, Rudy Gobert on an island on the perimeter and, and taken advantage of that? He's not a poor enough perimeter defender that teams abuse that all too much. And in the regular season, you don't see that kind of chess play anyway. But it wouldn't be too hard to, to try to get to that. If, if you really wanted to get a mismatch with Rudy Gobert on the perimeter, you probably could do it. Or you can say, all right, well, what if we stick, I don't know, this isn't a good example for this year, but like a Channing Fry type of guy. We're going to uh, a stretch five center. We're going to stick him in the corner. Gobert has to cover him and he can't defend the rim anymore. He's useless now. That, again, is a theoretical argument. Has it happened? Maybe. It probably has happened this year. Has it happened enough that it's really mattered? Probably, no, probably not. Um, I still think those two things are useful pieces of information that when trying to figure out who the best defensive player is, you can think about. But for this award, I think it should be based off of what has happened. And you can disagree with me, but that is the way I'm going to be looking at it. So it, it won't be who has the least weaknesses or who can I exploit the least, but who has performed the best. And especially since these are four big guys, um, the things that they need to do to be successful defensively are fairly similar. Um, And I I don't want to overweight how uh, being a good perimeter defender or a poor perimeter defender changes the, the calculus here, because even if we look at, uh, like, at B-Ball Index, we have our overall defensive talent grades. Those take a look at all the defensive grades, interior, perimeter, defensive rebounding. They, they took a look at physical tools, optimization, all that. And we know from running the numbers on, what, what do we have now, seven years of data and comparing that with defensive player impact plus minus values, we know for what positions we know we know which skills are important for which positions and perimeter defense still matters as a big man but it's not going to be the critical difference maker that, that's not going to be the thing i'm going to focus on it could still be very good and something that you want to have as an asset but i wouldn't have it be the deciding factor unless you're really tied on a lot of other things and that's what put somebody over the top we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then we'll be right back dig right into these numbers ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy that's because they were never meant to be worn that way untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked no matter your shape or size their shirts are the perfect untucked length with more than 50 fit combinations untucked shirts look great on tall short slim and athletic guys of all ages don't just take my word for it. Try Untuck It for yourself. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. All right, and we are back in our basketballist world talking defensive player of the year. So let's get into it. We have Anthony Davis, we have Brooke Lopez, we have Rudy Gobert, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo. And we're just going to run through about a dozen or so different stats. And I, I guess understand that all three of these teams are good defensively. We have two of these four players on the same team. So that's something to note. And I don't know if I want to make too many other notes on non-statistical observations. I, I think everything that I would want to communicate can be 
said or at least led into through through these series of stats. So let's start simple. Let's start where a lot of people start. It wouldn't be where I usually would, but because these will drive a lot of the perception, let's start with steals per game and blocks per game, which are two areas where Anthony Davis leads the the, the group of four in both occasions. And I think that's an important thing to note. It's a th- something that I see quoted a lot and used a lot in, in arguments online. And understandably so, a majority of basketball fans aren't listening to this podcast. They've never heard of things like PIPM or luck-adjusted data. There, there are su- there's such a spectrum of fans in the NBA that are great fans and want to contribute and talk and enjoy the game that haven't dug into the advanced stats. And that's perfectly okay. And understand that for many of them, Anthony Davis's versatility, which we'll get into, but then also the fact that he leads these groups in steals and blocks is, is a pretty big differentiator. And that's something that will set him apart from the others for them. I'll also say that going through each of these, for the most part, everybody's pretty good, pretty rated pretty highly in, in most of the stats we're going to talk to. So it's it's less about, oh, who sets themselves apart more so than it is, all right, for each of these different areas, who is the player kind of lagging behind? In on aggregate, in many of these stats that we're going to have two players tied at the top in over in the overall sense who was tied at the top in in most of those stats. So starting with steals, we've got AD, then Giannis, then Brooke, then Gobert. And the difference between AD and Giannis uh, from first to second is larger than from Giannis to Brooke or Giannis to Gobert. And Brooke and Gobert are about at the same value. So AD towards the top there. And then in blocks, uh, Anthony Davis and Brooke Lopez are both at the top. And then you've got a gap, then Gobert, then another gap, then Giannis. that is, uh, I guess I'll credit just, you know, these are, these are basic stats. Everybody can find these. Just go to the NBA's website. You can go to ESPN for these. You can go to probably basketball reference. You can, you can find these everywhere. Next, let's start with interior defense and then we'll work our way around the court. We're going to loop in our interior defensive metric. Uh, this is our stat at basketball index that looks at three different critical pieces when assessing a player's interior defense. And we've, we've spoken about this in more detail on previous podcasts, but to defend the rim, it's m- about more than blocking shots. And I, I guess this is a good note for the, the blocks and steals. Blocks are good, but there's a lot more to interior defense than blocking shots. And for steals, steals are also good, but there's a lot more to defense and there's a lot more to perimeter defense than getting steals. And I've seen times where players have high, st- high steal rates or low steal rates as a function of scheme, as a function of them gambling. And maybe they're, they're gambling on going after passes a lot more, reaching in a lot more and they're getting more steals, but it's also causing a higher frequency of negative outcomes in terms of them getting blown by or back cut or uh, causing a foul, things like that. So it, it is the presence of something good, but along with that, you don't know how that's how they're getting to that number. They're getting to that number while also exposing themselves in other areas, or is it, you know, they just get a, they have a high steal rate, they're in a scheme that's gambling a lot, and they're overplaying, and there, there's a lot to, to look into it. So from a, just from a number standpoint, it's, it's hard to ascertain too much from just those couple numbers. And for that reason, for a lot of time, we've had trouble assessing defender impact and a defend in defender ability with things like defensive box plus minus or other stats that purely rely on the box score to try to measure defense. So that's the beginning part. Interior defense. Step one, if you can, ideally you're deterring the shots at the rim. If Rudy Gobert is out there and in in Cranjus is on the court with the basketball. I'm not going to be taking any shots at the rim because I'm Rudy Gobert scares, scares the hell out of me. And when he's in position and he's doing his job, 
players are going to be in a position where they would normally take a shot, but say, you know what? Nope, he's right there. He's going to block it. I am going to pass this out. I am going to reset the offense, things like that. And that's a win for the defense. So the absence of that shot is good. So that is that is the first step to protecting the rim. The second step, if a player is going to take a shot at the rim, we want it to be a contested one. We want everything challenged because we know uncontested shots at the rim are incredibly high efficiency. So players contesting a high proportion of shots when they are on the court is, is a big factor of this as well. And then the third piece is if you are contesting it, how much are you impacting whether or not that shot goes in? And there are different baselines for everybody. And we try to measure that. Uh, so looking at how much they're, they're able to bring down what a player is normally shooting at them. So those are, so the, those are the three major areas as part of this statistic. I won't get any more in depth than that, but uh, in this one, unsurprisingly, Rudy Gobert's at the top. Then Brooke Lopez, uh, and both A's, 99, 98th percentile. Um, that's your top tier. And then you get to Giannis, who's still very, very good at this, 91st percentile. It's an A grade. And then Anthony Davis, 89th percentile. He's right there with Giannis, right in that second tier. He has an A minus grade because he's below the 90th percentile, but uh, right there. So I, I think you have two clear tiers here. And this is a stat that also will encompass the blocks to a bit, to a degree. It'll encompass what we're going to talk about next, which is rim defensive field goal percentage and, and how that differs for uh, players shooting against Giannis versus how they shoot normally. Um, so that, that interior defensive stat encompasses a whole lot. So I don't want to double count it too much, but I want to understand that it's a big piece of, of measuring interior defense or, or to the best that we can with the data we can. Uh, looking at rim, def- rim defense, you see similar things. Um, actually, you know what? It's not too similar. L- l- let's dig into it. So for the rim defensive field goal percentage, Again, we have two clear tiers, but Giannis and Brooke Lopez are at the top. And then Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis are, I don't want to say at the bottom, because they still have great values, but they're not in as elite company as Giannis and Brooke, who, when players are shooting against them, they're shooting about 18 to 19% worse at the rim than they normally do. Whereas for Gobert and Anthony Davis, it's about 10, 11, 12% worse. And here's a, one of the places where I want to note that Giannis and Brooke are on the same team. And for stats like this, if I don't know, Devin Booker takes a shot at the rim, they're attributing it to one of these guys, not everybody. So there may be more players involved, but when we're allocating those possessions just to one defender, it's, it's still tricky. So it's safe to say that the Bucks defense is just suffocating at the rim. And that may have some impact on both of these guys, but I think these guys are both bringing that defense to the table and and helping create that monster of a defense. So I don't want to count it against them too much. I don't want to give them too much credit, but that's what it looks like. And and I'll note that every single one of these four guys, the, the baseline of what players normally shoot against them is between, or normally shoot at the room is between 60.5% and 60.9%. So, Really, not much difference there. So, the I feel comfortable using these numbers as a, a somewhat similar starting point to to look at that. So, the two bucks at the top, the other two not in that top tier. If we move to closing possessions, because that's very important, and glancing at our defensive rebounding, you can look at defensive rebounds just in the raw sense, but that won't account for you know how many of these are just uncontested free rebounds because that's not really it, it, you want it but it's not you're not really showing us much uh when we just look at raw defensive rebounds we don't know you know two players can have three defensive rebounds per game but if one of them had 10 opportunities the only and the other one only had five opportunities i'm more impressed by somebody going three for five than three for ten so that's that's an, another thing that's missing if you just look at defensive uh, rebounding percentage, and you're looking at like the percentage of the rebounds gathered by the team, 
that's again has similar issues and if you're deferring rebounds to others or you're boxing out as we know Brooke Lopez likes to do uh it's not rewarding you in any way so we're going to use our defensive rebounding talent grade again from the b-ball index five dollar data and tools package and we do see a clear cut here from the top guys to the other one uh Rudy Gobert Giannis both 90th percentile a grades Anthony Davis, 94th percentile A grade. I'd lump them all together. Elite defensive rebounders. And then we have Brooke Lopez, who, and as many people have noted, and I agree, he is a very good uh, player at boxing out. And that is accounted for in this. And we look at how his boxing out impacts the team's ability to rebound better when he's on the court. And we are not counting rebounds that he defers to teammates against him. But regardless of all of that, when you get past that, we acknowledge it, but we get past it and we look at how he performs when he has to rebound, it's not as nearly as good. Um, and he ends up with a C- minus defensive rebounding grade. Uh, just really, really poor uh, numbers when it comes to everything past, you know, I'm going to box out, I'm going to help my team. When you actually need to go get it, can you go get them? And the 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 boxing out the helping the team does prop him up somewhat because otherwise he he would be even lower than this so there's a clear differentiation there i think closing possessions is critical because you can play great defense but then if you can't rebound the ball you're in trouble and and for these big men rebounding the ball is such a key piece of their job and we see that factored into their overall defensive talent grades and in, in, you'll see how it impacts their uh impact stats as well Another part of defense is disrupting opponents enough that their shot profile changes and is geared towards less efficient shots for that player. So are are you disrupting what somebody wants to do? Because we have our normal tendencies. we We have our spots. We know where we like to score, where we like to shoot. Uh, and if a defender is good enough, a lot of times they are, helping their defense by taking you out of your spots and also taking you away from the more efficient shots, like at the rim or or corner threes, things like that. And the QRAD statistic that Andrew Patton has been working on, who we've had on this podcast before, he's he's on the the B-Ball Index consulting team, work with Andrew all the time every day. He is an excellent stat that you can find on his Shiny Apps website, uh, apanalytics.shinyapps.io slash disruption. And if we look at this QRAD stat, which uh, I'll note that a negative, the, the more negative you are, the better. This is trying to gauge uh, how you're impacting your opponent's shot profiles in a way that is not just different, but is different and in ways that the opponent's taking less effective shots in general and, and for them. Here we again see two very separate tiers where Brook Lopez and, and Rudy Gobert are at the top, and then Giannis and then Anthony Davis, uh, kind of in that second tier. So that's an important note. Um, you can still be a very good defender if you contest really well and you rebound really well and uh, you know you block some shots, but if you're not changing the opponent's shot profile, it's it's harder to make that argument. But I, I will say that each of these guys did perform very well. It's just different degrees of, of well. Then if we move to our perimeter defense talent grade, because this is an, another area that for these big men isn't as important, uh, but you'll see in a minute that some of them tend to guard you know, guards and wings a little bit more than others. Uh, some of them are even able to be deployed on guards and wings and... For others, it's more switching or or drop coverage, things like that. But I don't want to overrate the importance of this, but it's still important enough that it it can make a pretty big difference in our overall defensive talent grades and I think should matter into this evaluation. But it shouldn't be... uh, For Anthony Davis, this might be the leading the charge. This is probably his strongest, one of his strongest areas. Um, but because somebody isn't in the top tier here, that doesn't mean they can't be the most impactful center defensively or or big man defensively. So 
I don't want to overrate this, but understand that for certain players, this is kind of leading the uh, campaign for them. Again, we have a, a clear differentiation. We have, and, and you can probably guess this, AD and Giannis at the top, they have B perimeter defensive talent grades. And then Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez, they're in the C range. Uh, clear differentiation. I think it makes sense. It's important to me that Rudy and Brooke aren't Fs or Ds or D minuses. Uh, because if you do drop low enough, it will impact your defense. Uh, and I, I'd like to say that when players are weaker here. So I, I spoke earlier about how, you know what, Rudy Gobert, he's not a limit, uh, an elite perimeter defender, but teams don't go after it all the time. So it doesn't really show up on the bottom line. If Rudy, instead of being a C or an F, not only would he be less effective in, this, in those situations, but I would anticipate that defenses would go after him more in those situations. So for perimeter defense, for bigs, it doesn't need to be, oh, I'm an elite, or I'm above average, even compared to when we loop some guards into the picture. But you can't be a big weakness that enough to the point that teams will target you. I think that's a key differentiation. You just have to be good enough that you can hold your own and that will limit the volume that you see on a normal basis. So that's a key piece of Anthony Davis's uh, stake in the de- in defensive player of the year in being the best defensive player. Um, but Giannis is right there. So don't forget about that. Giannis, for, for each of these perimeter ones that we say, oh man, this is, this is where AD's, you know, staking his case. Giannis is right there. When it comes to rebounding, Giannis is ahead of him just slightly. When it comes to defending the rim, they're, the two of them are in the lower tier with our overall metric, but at the rim, Giannis has, has fared much, much better than Anthony Davison impacting opponent shots, although AD has uh, blocked what an extra he has an extra block almost a block and a half per game so depending on what you're looking at if you're only looking at a couple of these stats you can make different cases i think when you put it all together it's it becomes more clear but moving along uh and, and again that perimeter defensive talent grade data was from our five dollar data and tools package uh next let's let's add some extra context and look at versatility and let's look at defensive role and defensive position estimate. So based off of partial possessions, so not just, all right, Anthony Davis, for this possession, he defended the power forward. That's it. Instead of looking at that, we can look at the seconds he spent defending a power forward, and then he got switched onto a shooting guard, and then he got switched onto a small forward. Now that we can track that, we have these partial possessions. We're able to better estimate who is guarding who. And from that, we know that the position estimate for what Giannis uh, is guarding is a 3.6. So from a 1 to a 5, from a point guard to a center, a 3.6 is like a between a small forward and a power forward. That's, that's kind of like the guess for like the median uh, player that he'd be guarding. For Anthony Davis, it's about the same at 3.7. So... Again, probably a lot of power forwards, but he's doing enough with guards and wings that it's it's more muddled and he's more in the middle. With Rudy Gobert and Brooke Lopez, they're at 4.1 and 4.2, so a little bit less on the guard side, but not substantially so. And then if we look at defensive roles, which just like our offensive roles, uh, try to look at who is guarding who and, and try to assign um, just a, a label that helps us quickly understand what they're doing. Uh, so we have three anchor bigs, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez. And then we have one stretch big in Giannis. So that is that, I guess that's a context that tells us a little bit more about what their roles and responsibilities are when they're performing on the court. And then from a versatility standpoint, uh, I don't have a percentile scale for this, but again, just looking at who is guarding who and how much of a mix there is, the most versatile players are Anthony Davis and Giannis. 
and then in the second tier, about just as close together to each other as Adi and Giannis are is Rudy Gobert and Brook Lopez. So the, the very two tight cluster, two very tight clusters we have. The top two in Adi and Giannis, the bottom two in, in Rudy and Brook. Um, so again, we've got a lot of these. We don't really have a clear leader. We just have a top two, or in some cases a top three, and somebody's lagging behind. Adding more context along those sim- same lines, if we're looking at the percentage of time these players are defending, you know, point guards and shooting guards lumped together, AD and Giannis are at the top, then Rudy Gobert, then Brook Lopez, but there's not a substantial difference from AD to Gobert. Brook is just a bit lower than the other three. If we had uh, small forwards into the mix, uh, Giannis jumps up to the top, then AD, then there's a gap, and then Rudy and Brook. So just more context, uh, if we're taking that same partial possession approach and trying to see how difficult individuals' uh, assignments are, and we look at the percentage of the time they've guarded players that are normally level, uh, they're option one or option two players from like a usage standpoint for the opposing teams. Um, 29% of the time that AD is, is out there guarding somebody, it's somebody who it has been labeled an option one or an option two. And then there's a little bit of a gap, Rudy Gobert and Giannis, and then a little bit of a gap, and then Brooke, but there's not a huge gap there. But then if we look at not just, uh, so so let's think about it this way. For the Lakers, LeBron's probably the number one option. AD's probably the number two option, or maybe, maybe those are flipped. When those are off the court, and Giannis is out there guarding Kyle Kuzma, let's say, based off of that first stat that I shared, he wouldn't count as option one or two. But for the lineup he's out there on, where AD and LeBron aren't out there with him, maybe he is the option one, or maybe he is number number two among the players on the court. So the second stat is looking at when these defenders are on the court, based off of who they have the opportunity to guard, how often are they defending the number one or number two options for the opponent? And in those instances, uh, Rudy and AD are at the top. There's a small gap. And then we have Brook Lopez and Giannis. The source for those these, these versatility stats, again, something Andrew threw together for DataViz, but Krishna, Krishna Narsu was the one who put together the data. Um, Andrew did the, the visualizations. And that's on apaanalytics.shinyapps.io slash knarsu3. Um, so you can look into that a little bit more. Um, but I, I think that's another really cool way to add some context about who is doing what. So by now we have an idea of how they stack up on the inside. We have an idea of how they stack up on the perimeter. We have an idea of, you know, what is there? What is his job? Who does he guard? How often is he guarding these positions or the best players in this sense? Um, so we've looked at all of that. You might want to rewind and listen through or maybe write some of these down and, and remember who is where. Uh, but now let's get into some of the results information. And when I talk about results, we have a couple different ways to do that. We're going to start with luck-adjusted defensive rating on-off. Um, so the way you would frame this is when Tim is on the court, his team's defense is two points better per 100 possession, luck-adjusted. The source from this is our, our data uh, and tools package at B-Ball Index. And I also want to note the raw on-off because I, I think that'll be interesting because that's probably where more of the perception lies. And I'll start at the bottom where we have Anthony Davis. His luck-adjusted on-off on defense is a plus 2.2. The Lakers are better when he's on the court, as expected. But his raw on-off is negative, about a negative 1. And I see that thrown out a lot instead of saying, oh, well, if we, I don't know, if we take out Rajon Rondo or if we take out Kyle Kuzma, instead of trying to slice and dice data to the point where you're comparing Anthony Davis and a handful of lineups compared to Giannis all the time or Brook Lopez all the time or Rudy Gobert all the time, just use the luck adjusted data because that accounts for some of those weird things that we're trying to find explanations for, but a lot of people don't take a look at like the free throw shooting variance or the three point shooting variance. 
AD is a positive defender. He helps the Lakers when he's on the floor. But he's still at the bottom of this list. At, at about a plus two. At about a plus three, we have Brooke Lopez. Um, and his raw is a plus one. So another person who has been a bit unlucky when it comes to their stats. By almost two full points. He's about a plus three. The raw is about a plus one. Then when we look at Rudy Gobert, he's about a plus four and a half. And his raw is about a plus five. So he's been a little bit lucky. And then at the top, we have Giannis at a plus about seven. And his raw is spot on right there at, at about a plus seven. So the looking at the raw data, you'll still have Giannis at the top. But you'll have Rudy a little bit closer than he probably should be. And you'll have Brooke and AD a little bit farther down than they should be. But when we compare them with the lock adjusted data, you've got Giannis at a plus seven, Rudy at a plus four and a half, Brooke at a plus three, and AD at a plus two. So I think that that paints a picture of when somebody's on the court, how are they impacting the game? Now, going to our from from an on off standpoint, if we if we move over to our overall defensive talent grades, and these are not public these are not part of our five dollar package yet i'm anticipating they will be soon uh but if we look at these talent grades that use that machine learning to figure out what matters for what positions and weighing everything appropriately uh physical tools talent grades optimization trying to calculate that overall rating at the top we have rudy gobert 99th percentile a grade Giannis close behind 98 and a half percentile, A grade. All these are A grades, by the way. Then we have Anthony Davis, 98th percentile, just ever so slightly behind Giannis, right there though. And then all of those guys are are separated by less than one percentile point. And then you end up uh, fourth with Brook Lopez, who's about the 95th percentile. So there's a little bit of a gap there. It's not substantial. It's not like he's a B or a C or something. Uh, or an even a minus, or even an A minus, but the top three from a talent standpoint are all right there with each other, and it's important to note that role matters. And Rudy Gobert, we know he's a worse perimeter defender than Anthony Davis, but he is still ahead of Anthony Davis in this because perimeter defense doesn't matter nearly as much as interior defense and defensive rebounding, and he edges AD out in both of those in some areas by, by a substantial margin. So that's what's going into that. And another way to look at, at this overall matchup, we have a couple more. Let's use uh, defensive player impact plus minus. Again, this is using luck adjusted data. It factors in the box score piece. And it's trying to estimate the per 100 possession defensive impact we'd expect for each guy. At the bottom, 80. Second to last, Rudy Gobert, then Brook Lopez at the top, Giannis. And I kind of see it in three tiers. You got Giannis at the top, you've got Lopez and Gobert in the middle, and then and AD at the bottom in his own tier. Looking at blending together the defensive portions of player impact plus minus, real plus minus, box plus minus 2.0, and Raptor, uh, and using a quadruple vector product, which we'll have to get Jacob on to, to talk about. We have a all in one, you know, we, we looked at all of them, not quite all of them. We looked at a few of them. Um, some, some of the impact stats that we like to use, threw them all together. And that defensive all in one has Rudy at the top at a plus 3.67. Giannis is close behind it, a plus about three, three and a half. Brooke Lopez at a, about a plus three. And then Anthony Davis at a, about a plus two and a half. So those are our overall uh, metrics. And, and if you want to loop in others, you can look at defensive RAPM, uh, luck-adjusted defensive RAPM, um, just defensive Raptor on its own, defensive real plus minus on its own, and then there are a slew of other ones. But those, those are what we're going to talk about for now. Overall, it looks like Giannis and Rudy lead the way in impact. Um, but each guy shows up well in different areas. And if you're, you're trying to focus on specific things or if you try to weigh something more than others, that can really drive your 
your DPOY argument. For Anthony Davis, if I were trying to spin this the best way for him, I'd say, you know what? He's leading these guys in steals. He's leading them in blocks. He's the best on the perimeter. He enable him on the court enables a more switchy defense that enables the Lakers to be more resilient to defenses targeting him. Uh, he's versatile, and that's what I would leave with. I, I would try to brush off the interior defensive component by saying, you know what? Hey, he's got all these blocks, but. If we're looking at the full scope of this data, we know that he's the weakest defending the inside. We know he's weak changing opponent's shot profiles. And all of this, all of those pros, all that perimeter defense has not translated to top defensive impact data. So for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> so I, I, wouldn't, I, I think AD is a candidate. He's not one of the top two for me. For Brook Lopez, his uh, argument, if I were making it for him, would be, hey, he's, he's right up there when it comes to changing opponent shot profiles and interior defense. Lopez is killing it. I talk about him boxing out. I try to brush away the defensive rebounding stuff, but that is a weakness of his. He's least versatile of these guys. He tends to guard easier options of these guys. And impact-wise, he's second out of four in, in the defensive player impact plus minus, third in the, the all-in-one defensive stat. So while each of these two, each of Brooke and AD have their strong points, I would not say that either of them consistently outperform Giannis or Rudy in more than like a thing or two. And for that reason, I'd say that while they're in, in the race, um, based off of the data, based off, the, off of the film I've seen, I would have them in a second tier below Giannis and Gobert. And that's not a shot at them. I think they're excellent defenders. And I think any team would be in such a position uh, of strength to have them on the court defensively. But I would not, for defensive player of the year, for this regular season, what has happened stat, I would not have them in the top tier. Moving to Giannis and Rudy, I, I, then it really gets into what you want to weigh, how you want to look at it. But Giannis is performing very, very well. Uh, his defensive rebounding, defending the perimeter, his versatility, he has no real holes. Um, however, he is second tier for that QRAD changing opponent shot profile data in his inferior interior defensive talent grade isn't as elite as some of the others, but overall in impact, he's leading the way in defensive player impact plus minus luck adjusted on off rating. He's second in that all in one defensive uh, stat and he's uh, second in, in the overall defensive talent rating. So number one or two in all of the overall things, and he leads the way in quite a bit and he's, and he's very versatile, doesn't really have the holes. Rudy kind of has the holes from a perimeter defensive standpoint, but he's strong in a lot of areas. Um, he's asked to do far less. And he's, of all these guys, I think he's one of the most, him and Brooke Lopez, if you got into a seven-game playoff series in theory and you wanted to try to go at these guys, you may be able to. Their environments, their situations, their scheme, their coaching, their teammates, mitigates that to a good to uh, a good degree and they're not weak enough defending the perimeter that teams have gone after them a ton um but there's a theoretical weakness there that hasn't really materialized but that is something that will come up in the arguments um again it hasn't been too exposed if you look at the overall stuff go third in in the defensive player impact plus minus second in the luck adjusted on off uh, first with the overall defensive talent grade and the all-in-one defensive impact stat. And all of these can, they may have changed since I put these notes together, but uh, those, the, the, essentially I'd say this is why, this is what I would look at from a stat standpoint. Watch the film. Look and see if they're playing quarterback on defense. Look at all these different things. But for measuring those areas of perimeter and interior defense, you know, changing opponent shot prov profiles, all those things, these are things we can measure, and I've presented. There's probably a, a better, a more to include to this, but I think this is a good starting point of a blueprint for if you're trying to assess defensive player of the year and use statistics to back up your argument. So when I read an article that's for one of these guys that only mentions one of these dozen things, that stands out. If you wanted to make a very compelling case, you, you'd you bring up how Anthony Davis leads, or I don't know, Rudy Gobert leads in 
most of these things or Giannis is the most, or I, I don't know what it is, but that is the way I like to look at it. And this may evolve over time. We'll see if the regular season continues. We'll see if it's shortened. We'll see if they play it all out completely, but that is what I look at. And my current number one defensive player of the year, I'd probably lean Giannis over Gobert, but it's not decided. These numbers can change. The performance can change. I'm going to continue watching the film. I might have more of a chance to dig into some of the old film now that the season has paused, but that is based off of what I know today, the way I would lean. So that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, this has been the B-Ball Index podcast. I am Tim. I'm Crunch McBasketball. You can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. A big thank you to Blue Wire and our sponsors for this week, uh, Untucket and BetOnline.ag. Go on, use those promo codes, get those, get those, get that free money um, for when sports do come back in. You can gamble. Um, check out the site on Twitter. It's uh, the Basketball Index, the B-Ball Index. It's the underscore B-Ball underscore Index, index on Twitter is the handle. Um, and feel free to, a lot of what I referenced today, those are free stats from free dashboards or just publicly available things. Um, the only thing on here that you can't get to is that overall defensive talent grade, but I'm, I'm happy to provide updates on that. Occasionally, just let me know. And the talent, the other talent grades you can find in our $5 package. So there's a lot uh, to look at, but I hope this provided maybe just an extra thing or two for you to consider when you are making your case at work in class with your friends on the basketball court in 2k on your headset, whatever, when you're talking about defensive players of the year. So thank you. Thanks for joining us and, and stay safe out there.